welcome to Growing, a podcast about birth, babies, and beyond. I'm your host, Beth. I'm a midwife, a business owner, and a mum. If you're anything like me, you find yourself wearing many hats, and this can be fun and hard and everything in between. So I'm here to offer support and solidarity for whatever season of growth you find yourself in. Let's go. This episode is brought to you by Baby Dink. You carry your baby for nine months, but it doesn't end there. In your arms, snuggled up to your chest is always going to be your baby's favorite place. But sometimes, as lovely as these snuggles are, we need to be hands-free. Our friends at Baby Dink know that new parents don't often have a lot of time or headspace to be dealing with anything too complicated. So they've designed the ultimate no-wrap wrap to keep your baby close without the admin. With no confusing ties or buckles, their award-winning Baby Dink newborn carrier provides the same cozy fit every single time. With organic, soft and breathable stretchy fabric that's designed to grow with you and your baby from birth to six months. The Baby Dink team are offering our growing audience an exclusive 15% off code, which can be used on any of their carriers. This code cannot be used with any other offer. Simply use the code GROW15 at the checkout, available only at babydink.com.au. Hello and welcome back to Growing. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Dr. Erin Bowe. Welcome, Erin. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and the work that you do before we dive in? Of course. I am, well, first and foremost, I'm a mum to two little girls. I trained as a clinical psychologist. I'm a clinical and perinatal psychologist. That's kind of what I specialise in. Um, And birth trauma seems to be the thing that I didn't set out to choose, but it chose me. (laughs) So I do a lot of work in that area, which is split across writing, therapy, creating courses, just creating whatever I can create that's out there to be helpful. Because uh, at least when it happened to me the first time, so I've had two traumatic births myself, uh, there was not a lot that was out there in terms of like this is something actually useful and supportive that I can kind of sink my teeth into. So, um, yeah, if not me, then who? So I just um, kind of took a little bit of a career detour, I suppose, in that respect. Always worked in perinatal, but like so many women, never really thought it would happen to me. I, you know, I did hypnobirthing. I was a hypnobirthing practitioner for a long time. I had a doula. I did all the reading. Read all the books. I, you know, I thought I was pretty well prepared, and it happened anyway. So I think the growth that has come from that has been well. Like if it can happen to me, and it can happen to anybody. And so that's Mm. all that people could take away from that. That it's not down to something that you did or didn't do. It could just happen no matter what. And if that's helpful to someone, then that's you know that's been helpful for me, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And the work that you do in this space is so important because we know that as you've kind of touched on there, you know, if it can happen to you, it can happen to anyone. And unfortunately in Australia, birth trauma is incredibly common. And I think we have a huge portion of mums heading into motherhood who are also wading through the fog of birth trauma and not Mm. really knowing 
where to go or where to turn to. So one of the reasons that I'm so excited to talk to you today is to really clear up where can you go and what can you do if you are a mom who has emerged from the birth of your baby feeling traumatized. Yeah. So I guess to take us back a little bit, do you mind talking through some of the key features of psychological birth trauma? And I guess some of the things that mothers might experience or be feeling or could be on the lookout for in the hours, days, weeks, months after they give birth to their baby? Mm, Yeah, so it's probably like the most common question I get asked is like, what counts? That's often the thing that people say, like, what counts as birth trauma? I say everything counts. It's the really simple answer is if you feel like your birth was traumatic, then it's birth trauma. (laughs) It's as simple as that. In terms of, I suppose, quantifying it a bit more, there's a spectrum that is sometimes helpful. At one end of the spectrum, you might have what's sometimes referred to as birth regret. So things didn't quite go the way as planned. A really common scenario might be I planned for or I hoped for a physiological birth or natural birth, as some people call it, and you ended up with a bunch of procedures, right, that maybe you didn't want. And you're kind of disappointed about it, frustrated about it, angry about it. That's just one example. It could be so many other aspects of it. But generally speaking, as the days and weeks roll by, you're okay. Like you're never going to think, oh, this was the most amazing Zen birth I've ever had. But generally speaking, you're okay. So that's kind of up one end of the spectrum. That's birth regret. Then we have what's called little t trauma. So you have some symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, but you don't actually meet the full criteria. You have to have symptoms for at least four weeks before you can call it post-traumatic stress disorder anyway. In terms of like the perinatal space, I always think that's kind of amusing is not the right word, but when you look at those first six weeks anyway, like how are we supposed to know what is <laughs> like what is outside of the ordinary? So I would say take that with a very big grain of salt. I look more at like six, eight beyond weeks before you yeah. even consider like trying to diagnose something there. But you know, it kind of starts with things like can't stop thinking about it. So it's kind of like women describe it as like this one track thought. I just cannot stop thinking about it. And what if I did this? And what if I said that? And I shouldn't have said that. And what if I'd done that? And that often happens for partners too. It's sort of like this, um, I sometimes refer to it as like the shower fantasy. It's like when you get in the shower and you're like, oh, if only I'd said this. And, and then your partner will say, well, what if I'd said that? And what if we'd done this? And what if we'd waited? Or what if we didn't wait? And you just go over and over and over and over and over. And that's part of the brain's natural process of trying to make sense of what happened. But if it's like, let's say, very, 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 like take it very mildly, six weeks kind of plus, hormones have started to settle down and you're still finding that you just can't get your mind off it, that might be a sign. Not being able to sleep, I mean, you know, hello. (laughs) Perinatal, how do we measure that? You know, the moodiness, all that kind of stuff. Flashbacks avoidance, those kinds of like wouldn't even want to drive past the hospital. I've had women say like I can't look at this certain colour because it's the same colour as like the midwife's uniform or the walls were painted this colour. And then it might even be things like I feel like I hold this baby and like it may as well just be like an elephant, like there's nothing, not feeling anything. That's another common thing that people say like this trauma happened, this baby's here, yes, 
I love this baby, everything's wonderful, but this is also the source of my pain and I'm struggling with that. Even though you maybe still don't meet the full, you know, criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder, which I'll talk about in a minute. And then you might try things like you talk to people about it. You could read a book. You maybe go and get a birthday brief, something like that. And generally speaking, again, you're kind of okay. With post-traumatic stress disorder, that's what we call the big T trauma. There is no amount of book reading, birthday briefs, talking to friends and family that is going to get you through that. It really is a pattern interrupter, I suppose, as to what's what the brain has made it mean. And often you're going to need targeted support to actually integrate that story fully to be able to, I don't really like the word recover, I don't really like the word heal, but kind of find find yourself again in it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So interesting to consider all of the different stages and as or, or the spectrum, I suppose. And as you were talking, I was thinking about people in my world who I know have experienced everything along that spectrum. And I was sort of going, oh yeah, like, you know, we've had that those conversations and all the way up to people needing that really targeted care. So say if you were talking to a mom and she was, you know, 10 weeks postpartum and she said to you, like, I'm just struggling so much, or you picked up on the fact that she was just struggling so much. Mm-hmm. In Australia, what kind of options do women have for working through this trauma on any level that they experience it. Yeah, so I suppose the thing that's important to consider is there's, I don't know, I always think of my grandmother, how she had this phrase called like it's the singer, not the song. So you can have here's on paper all the things that will be helpful potentially, but the relationship, the relationship you have with the person who's trying to support you is as equally important, maybe more important. So it's really I think about finding somebody that you click with and that you feel safe with. So for some people that might mean you go to your daughter, you go to your midwife, you go to, I've had people talk to their birth photographer, their naturopath, their yoga teacher, and that might be the person that you sit down with and get things off your chest and process it. And that will be, for the majority of people, it might actually be quite helpful. The problem with that is if it's actual post-traumatic stress disorder, A, that person's not necessarily going to be able to take you through those steps. There's also the risk of like re-traumatization. Um, that's another aspect I deal with a lot of the midwives and photographers and all that saying, I've had these women come with these stories and I have no clue how to help them. So it's like, you know, blind leaving the blind kind of thing. So there's that. For sure. But potentially in Australia, usually what we say is go and talk to your GP. So if your GP is someone that you trust, that you get along with, that you can get an appointment. Alternatively, it might be your child maternal health nurse. It might be a lactation consultant, but a GP is generally the person who can write a Medicare referral. So that will be the person ultimately. Um, you don't have to get a Medicare referral, of course, but to be someone like a psychologist, sometimes a psychiatrist, that's generally where you start. Yeah, amazing. And within that, like when you go to the GP, say if I was to go to the GP and say, look, I'm, you know, a few months into motherhood, I am struggling. And then they hand you that referral. Mm -hmm. How do you find 
because I, I think that's the, the a lot of mums I speak to are like, oh, they have a level of awareness that some professional input would be valuable around their birth trauma, but it feels like a, a big job in itself to oh, yeah. to navigate that. And, you know, I think that's the reason that a lot of people kind of shove it to the back of their mind because you're a new mum, mm. whether it's your first, second, third, fourth, you're a new mum to that baby. And your mind and body and a whole entire life is deep in that experience of mothering. And so when someone says, you know, go talk to someone, you're like, oh, that's just like a mental load I cannot take on. So what would the next step be? Does the GP physically tell you where to go or is that something that you research? It really depends. So this is kind of like when people talk about birth trauma awareness, it's like, yeah, it's awareness across the board. So I guess I would say in the last kind of 14 years of doing this, something that happens a lot is that women get misdiagnosed, postnatal depression. They're told, oh, you've probably got postnatal depression, and that might be true, but if you go and receive treatment for postnatal depression, the person that you're seeing, that's what they see. It's like, I can't, there's probably a phrase that describes that better than what I can come up with right now, but it's like if you don't see anything other than that, you're not actually going to treat what's going on for that person. So it puts a lot of pressure for you to know like what to even ask for. So, I mean, awareness is getting better. It depends on who you talk to. A lot of the people who come, for example, to see me have done their own research and have already done some Googling, been to some forums, talked to some people. So there is that big strong element of self-advocacy really, um, which has sort of come out of, necessity I suppose not a lot of people are necessarily trained in birth trauma Uh, it's getting better but Mm. you might get a GP who goes ah that sounds more like post-traumatic stress let me kind of send you this way but more often than not it does sort of get lumped into the like oh well you know you're kind of not sleeping you're teary yeah you're adjusting hard okay could be a lot of things we'll sort of just you know lump it all into the perinatal (laughs) category I guess yeah and in your experience, what I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, but I think one of the big things that I've noticed over the years, both being said sort of professionally, and I've also heard it in in more like a social settings, is this lingering belief or thought that all that matters is that you're okay and your baby's okay. You know, you're you I'm sorry that it was hard, but you know you got your beautiful, healthy baby and and you'll be right kind of thing. To me, that seems like an ongoing challenge for women because you start to believe it a little bit. I think Mm. for a lot of women are like, well, I'll be okay. Like at least I've got my baby. And yeah. So do you find that this is something that pops up in your work and what are your thoughts around this? Yeah, it's, uh, I have big opinions about this, Beth. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I called my book More Than Healthy Baby because it's right. the thing that you hear over and over and over. I read this article. I wish I could find it again. It will probably come up somewhere. There, there was a lady who likened it to imagine replacing like birth with a wedding, right? And, you know, a toddler falls in your cake a drunk uncle vomits on your dress. Like things do not go to plan. You get more understanding and more sympathy and more empathy for that, but nobody says, oh, well, at least you've got a healthy husband. Right? Oh, my gosh, it's so true. If it rains on your wedding day, everyone's like, oh, you poor thing, you put so much effort in, you're wearing this expensive dress. Yeah. <laughs> the photos won't be good. But then we're told to sort of just get on with it if 
you know, if birth goes belly up? Yeah, because it's, you know, we have our floor and our ceiling in birth, like completely wrong. Like, you know, the, the healthy baby is like the bargain basement, like minimum, like to hope for, but it's kind of heralded as like this is the best outcome you can hope for in birth. And you think, don't we hope for better outcomes? Like a healthy baby, a healthy living child and a healthy living parent should be like just the kind of basic, like the minimum that you could expect. But Mm. we've pushed it to the point of like, well, you know, the system is so stretched and there's so many issues that, you know, you kind of should be lucky. Like that's all you have, you know? For sure. And I think that it's a huge, among all the other things that we've said, like, you know, getting yourself to the GP, finding the way to ask for that referral, because I think a lot of people who are in the thick of working through trauma, and you can probably speak to this, but you might not even have the aware, the level of self-awareness or the words to put to how you're feeling to mm. be proactive in seeking that referral. So I think this belief that, you know, we should just be happy with the bare minimum of physical health for us Mm. and our babies is incredibly silencing. I was going to say that given um, what I just said about people sometimes may struggle to have that self-awareness of, you know, this is a huge thing that my brain is working through. As like friends and family and loved ones of women who have recently given birth, what might be some things that we look out for that clue in that this mum is maybe not coping as well with the events of her birth as she maybe is letting on or maybe she just isn't talking about it so that we can support people to take that first potentially scary step to getting help? Mm. I think over the years something that plays on my mind a lot is, again, like we were talking about before, this cultural narrative of saying, oh, you know, healthy baby. We also have this strong kind of cultural narrative where we say, like, ring me if you need something. Let me know if you need help. And when you are in the throes of, like, just don't even know what happened to you, and potentially also the added element of that is if there's been interpersonal trauma. So you've asked for help you've said stop, you've said I don't really want to do that and you've had some form of, yeah, interpersonal trauma we would call it during the birth, what part of your brain is then going to go, do you know what, it would be a really good idea to reach out to like the broader source, like yes, your logical mind knows, okay, your GP is not the person who is in the room in the birth suite. Okay, your auntie, whoever's offering to help, isn't there, but it, it's part of that trauma that hasn't been resolved. So, what part of your brain would go, That sounds like a good idea. I'm going to stick my hand up and ask for help, particularly if you haven't been heard before. Like the fawn response, I suppose, in birth is a very, very, very real thing. And depending on what other life experiences you've had before that, sometimes it is just like so immobilizing to stick your hand up and say, I need help. So, I kind of try and get people to do the don't wait to be asked, like be the person who kind of steps in and says, right, (laughs) can I do this for you, A, B or C? Just pick one, Mm. right, rather than putting the onus on the women to say, oh, well, ring me if you need me, reach out if you need help. Like it's, yeah, it's a big ask. Yeah, for sure. So just being proactive and kind of tuning into them rather yeah. than waiting for them to come to you, and would you say? it might be just that. It might be here's some options, like an exhausted brain likes options anyway. It might be do you want me to make you an appointment? Do you want me to take the baby? Do you want yeah. me to do something physical for me? And then the other option has to be I want you to just bleep off. 
right, that has to be an option too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's like if I'm texting or communicating with anyone freshly postpartum or even if I know they're in a busy stage, I'm like no need to respond. You know, like Mm -hmm. I preface it with being like I'm not pushing you, I'm just letting you know I am here, I can do X, Y, Z for you or you can just ignore me and tell Mm -hmm. me to go away and that's fine as well. Something that comes up a lot definitely in my online community is mums asking you know, they've had a rough experience the first time. It may or may not have been addressed in the months and years that followed. And then they fall pregnant again and they're very excited to be, you know, growing another baby. They're very happy about that pregnancy, but they're suddenly faced with having to deal with maybe something that they didn't either want to or realize that they had to deal with after the birth of their first baby. And I get questions like, you know, I'm pregnant again. I had a traumatic experience. How do I get my head around doing this again? Do you have any insight or words of wisdom for those mums? Yeah, lived experience. I mean, I went through it one time, said I'm not doing this ever again, and then like a lot of women found myself (laughs) doing it again. Um, There's a whole chapter on that in my book about birthing again when you've been through this before. A huge part of it is trying to settle yourself into something that you can believe and hang on to. So I know, you know, like in a lot of childbirth education, hypnobirthing, things like that, we talk about affirmations, but it has to be something that you believe. So often at the end of the day, it's not even about trying to convince yourself that it's going to be better. I would choose the word different. Like I found that helpful to say it's going to be a different day. It's going to be a different birth. It's going to be a different baby. That is, if that's the only thing you can hold on to, that at least will give your brain a focus rather than trying to convince yourself that it's going to be better. Like, of course, you want to be positive about your birth and you want to be prepared. But again, I'm living proof. I did all these extra things the second time around and it still happened, right? With my five kilo meatloaf daughter, we're going to show her this daughter to It happened again, right? But you got through it, you can get through it again. We can do hard things. Like there's, yeah, so much potential to prepare for for this. The thing I would say is like, don't just do the la, 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 don't think about it. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And did you, in your personal experience, I know you said that you were quite prepared on paper for your first birth, I suppose. Did you feel like it was valuable for you to go down like an education route again? Or was it more about equipping yourself with some of those like mindset strategies and really building your team Mm -hmm. in terms of like preparing who was going to support you? And I don't know, just being prepared to like advocate a a little bit more maybe to avoid the things that are potential triggers, that Mm. sort of stuff. I think it's a bit of both. And I think with a lot of births, it comes down to those like sliding doors. Like you kind Mm. of, you know, could have gone this way, could have gone that way. Should I have done this? Should I have done that? Ultimately, I suppose you try to settle back into the like, well, you do the best that you can with what you have at the time. And if you can, try and put it into some sort of a story that you can kind of get your head around and settle with and go, all right, at the end of the day, I did the best that I could. My team did the best that they could. And if there's things there that's not, you know, like that wasn't quite right, that shouldn't have happened, then thinking about what's the best for your mental health there. Like do you want to pursue it? Do you want to take action? Would you be better off? I'm not necessarily better off like it's one or the other, but like what do you actually need to help you get through that? 
Yeah, I love that you say that. Like for some people, it will be pursuing it and to follow it through with a feedback process. And then for other people, it's like, that's not going to help me. I need to Mm. work through this privately and not put it to bed because we don't ever want to shove anything, you know, under the rug, but more just like, I need to deal with this privately, put it to rest for my own sanity. Like I can't keep revisiting this. And that's definitely something that I've heard women say, and Mm. it can either go both ways. They're very motivated to find a solution and to give that feedback to the providers and to try to remedy the things that maybe contributed if they felt like it was those interpersonal traumas like you touched on. Mm -hmm. And then there is other people that I've spoken to who are just like, things just didn't go to plan because they didn't go to plan. There was nothing that anyone did or didn't do. And so I just need to work through this have that debrief, get that GP appointment, talk to my partner, Mm. write about it and then say, okay, it's going to be different this time. Mm. It's different for everybody. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you mentioned that you have some courses and resources at the top of this chat. What sort of services do you offer and, and resources for women who might be listening to this thinking, okay, like what? What now? What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got options. So I get a useful place to direct people to, which we can put in the show notes, might just be I have a page of resources that videos I've done over the years, there's podcasts I've done, there's blog posts, there's books, there's all sorts of things. As I said, up the milder end of the spectrum, like it might be you do some reading, you watch some videos, you try some strategies. You can do, there's a course that goes with the book as well that's for people who are like, all right, I just want to like try some strategies, which might be some breathing, some putting things into like a framework that makes sense, some angry letter writing. Like there's all kinds of strategies we can try. You've got to be mindful though. My supervisor uses this phrase and I find myself using it all the time now about handing out a dead fish. <laughs> so like, you know, I can give you a fish. And it's like, here's the tool, here's the strategy. That might help to get you through for like an hour, a day, a week. But then after that, it's like not enough. So then you've got to think, well, do you want to kind of teach women and families to fish? That's kind of more where like therapy comes in, really. It's okay. going to give you the more kind of comprehensive, full. And if you've got post-traumatic stress disorder, like symptom relief, you, it's not something you're going to grow out of it. Like people say time heals all wounds. It doesn't when you're deep in a trauma like <laughs> trauma and insight do not reside in the same place mm-hmm. it's just one of those things that like there are certain specific tools that we can use to help people get through that whether that's doing something like cognitive behavioral therapy or whether it's doing something like eye movement desensitization reprocessing there's a couple of different options they're probably the most frequently used um, they're also the ones that are covered under medicare so that kind of fits within the whole if you're going down this route this is probably what you're going to be using but yeah lots and lots of options you're often going to have to try a few different things to see what fits but sometimes you have to try a few different people think back to what I said about the relationship you can on paper find someone who's skilled in trauma but doesn't really understand anything about birth or you find someone who's perinatal but just doesn't quite have that trauma experience or you might find both and you still don't get along <laughs> for whatever yeah. reason. So sometimes it does take a few goes. I think it's important to know, like the dropout rate for trauma therapy is high. Like it's it's something that's not talked about often enough, but 
you know, a reasonable part of my week is getting messages from people and then getting ghosted. Like that's just yeah, that's just part of it. Or people do a couple of sessions and they go, geez, this is like hard and you've got a baby and they drop out and we have to normalise that. Like it sometimes takes a few goes. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting because it would be incredibly challenging, I imagine. You touched on um, Medicare, that pathway. Mm. Um, what what are the current entitlements? Like if if we are going to the GP, we're getting that um, referral, we found someone that we want to give a try, what does that plan look like currently and what are we entitled to? Yeah, it's changed so much over the years. I used to have 24 sessions to work with back in the day. Generally, the kind of gold standard treatment for trauma is about 12 to 24 sessions, depending on what modality you're using. But now we get 10. So (laughs) it's worth remembering that the current amount of sessions that we get doesn't actually match the gold standard for what is effective treatment. So it might work out if you start, like this is all just like, you know this is the point you get to be like I can't believe this is the advice I'm giving but it's sometimes practical if you were to start your sessions later in the year then you've got like 10 weeks then you get a new plan in the new calendar Uh, year so sometimes you know you think January 1st yep starting new plan new year you probably get help whenever you need to get help but if it's timing's neither here nor there uh, maybe think about that like starting a bit later in the year spreading things mm. out because 10 sessions is not a lot it might sound like a lot <laughs> yeah it's really not but that's such a practical tidbit just to go look you know if it's not urgent urgent it's not affecting your day-to-day but maybe you're planning a pregnancy in the next couple of years and you think you know what I might mm-hmm. start to get on top of that and work through that with someone and you know that it's almost you know this second half of the year or about to tick over mid-year, you might just hold off. That's really good to know. And would you say as well, like I love that you touched on that you've got that course and while it it might not be, you know, everything that someone needs, maybe would you say it's valuable to work through something like your course and then combine it with the 10 sessions, for example, if you did need that immediate care and you didn't want to, you know, wait to do it over two calendar years? Yeah, absolutely, because it serves a couple of purposes. One is if it's something that's like direct teaching that I could just teach you in a video, that means you could save a session for something else. And I mean, this is even just like other, you know, like mental health practitioners that I work with. I'm always saying like, have you got a video? Have you got a resource? Have you got something? Also, mums are exhausted and they forget stuff. So it's much handier to kind of go, remember that thing we talked about? No, nah, got no idea. Go and watch this video, right? Go and look at that resource. So I'm all for just having things kind of on tap because I, I don't believe in hoarding knowledge. I think we need a massive shift in how we think about how we actually help people, which means getting beyond the you see someone in a one-to-one setting in an office, then you get the knowledge, then you go away and use it. We just need more than that, especially if you're only getting 10 sessions and we have waiting lists and yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that you hear come up a lot. So it's just amazing to hear of a specific birth trauma resource in the form of a self-paced course, because I even think about like, you know, the effort to find potentially you can't take your baby along or you can take your baby along, but you know, the, the mental load of that getting in the car, timing oh, yeah. it with a nap, trying to focus and give the, um, I remember it was a different setting, but sort of the same thing of going along to my pelvic floor physio at six weeks. And I had Poppy in the pram next to me, little six week old baby, and she was losing her mind. Ooh. And the physio is going to me, 
try to relax your pelvic floor, just like let it. <laughs> and I was trying, I was had my eyes closed and I was trying so hard. And I ended up just sitting up and saying to her, look, I'm so sorry. There's no way I can, you know, switch on those muscles and use my brain that way when I, like my baby's screaming. Yeah. And she was amazing. She was like, of course, like I, I hear you. Like I see mums all day, but I can only imagine it would be tenfold if you're trying to go to a really safe place with someone, potentially someone you've just met and you're mm. sort of like rocking the pram. So even just to have that opportunity to dip the toe in, start moving through some of those exercises from the safety and comfort of your home. When you're doing a contact nap or you're breastfeeding your baby or you've got a morning to yourself, like I think that that is so valuable and a real credit to, to your approach to kind of diversifying those resources for people. Well, I mean, it's it's lived experience, right? Where it's three in the morning and you're like, okay, what could I do at three in the morning? I could re-traumatise myself by going into a group potentially or scrolling or I could maybe use that time to actually work on this and not uh, mask it potentially. Mm. Just before we wrap up, I do want to ask you about that because I think that that's quite an important point you've made. Obviously, it's a really a powerful thing to connect with other mums, particularly if you're a first-time parent, it can be exactly what you need in that season of life. But what advice would you have for women who are still very much feeling shaken uh, uh, by their birth, whether they sit along that spectrum, you know, somewhere, and they're starting to interact with with other parents through, you know, a parents group or it's chats at the park, because I know from experience, the birth stories come up, right? Like I even remember our, our first one, we were sitting in a park and I don't think it was this formal, but it just naturally, organically, everyone started sharing their birth story and we pretty much went around in a circle and and it was like, I'm birth and this is Poppy and she's this many weeks old and we had our baby here and so on. And while there's no pressure to share, I can imagine that it would feel quite triggering and disappointing Mm. to hear other people's birth stories or feel scary to maybe share your own. Mm. What advice do you have for navigating that? Yeah, it comes down to personal choice and thinking, am I going to feel energised by this? Or am I going to feel drained by this when I walk mm. away? So, I mean, even things like, like I've had a lot of practice and I always have to say to women, like, what you see with me talking about this, it's a practice effect. This is like thousands of hours of talking on videos, talking on podcasts. It's like a zone that you can go into. But for some people, when it's really raw and it's really fresh or even not, it's not going to be helpful to keep going over the story or keep doing that comparison thing that we do because that's a thing that happens to a lot of people is they're like oh well like I didn't have it as bad as so I shouldn't feel as bad it's like you're always going to find someone who has it worse than you focusing on the fact that somebody has it worse than you doesn't actually help your own healing it tends to just make us feel worse and make ourselves feel smaller so it can be helpful it can be cathartic but like anything, it's kind of going to be contained, which is why you don't, I mean, this is another thing to think about. We generally don't run post-traumatic stress groups because everybody triggers everybody yes. and yeah. you can end up feeling 10 times worse, 10 times worse. Yeah. <laughs> and do you find that that can happen online too, as much as it's lovely to think that joining a group on Facebook might help you feel seen in the short term, mm. having those notifications pop up and reading other people's stories might. I guess it's very personality dependent, but I can imagine that could feel quite hard and draining if you're still working through your own 
Yeah, it, it's tricky because a huge part of any trauma work is you have to establish safety and you have to establish a container and you have to be able to establish what are you going to do if somebody starts to drift, right? So at the extreme end of life, they're starting to panic, they're starting to dissociate, they're starting to actually go back into the trauma so it feels like it's happening right now. Like if there's nobody there to steer the ship, who doesn't have the skills to navigate you through that, potentially you're just going to end up back in this sort of shame guilt cycle where like oh I tried to seek support going online and scrolling is not Mm. necessarily the same as actual formal support like logically our brains know that but like again it's three in the morning you're just looking to be connected I get it but you got to think okay is this going to give me the reaction to the feeling that I want and if it's not maybe just thinking about steering the ship somewhere else yeah Thank you so much. This has been full of really practical ideas and strategies that I think a lot of people will benefit from. And I wish that such a big portion of the birthing population didn't need these resources, but I'm so, so glad that they exist. Just to finish us off today, do you mind sharing what your final piece of advice is for somebody who is listening to this right now and looking back on the events of their birth and just feeling quite shaken by them? What would you say to them? I think having compassion for yourself, giving yourself like the grace of you did the best that you can with what you had at the time and if you're really overwhelmed, like just returning to breath, like all the sort of noise and everything, like you can, it's what we enter the world with, it's what we leave the world with. It's a really useful skill for birth anyway, just returning to focusing on your breath. And if that's all you can do for 10 seconds and it's 10 seconds, Tell yourself you're doing the best that you can. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Erin. I'm going to be including all of the links to your resources that you've mentioned here in the show notes for anyone listening. And do you mind just sharing, are you on Instagram where people can come and follow along or your website? Yeah, there's, I haven't done Instagram for about two and a half years, but there is, I've left it there. There's a vault of posts. Yeah. <laughs> it's helpful. Mostly it's just my website now. Amazing. I will put that in the show notes for everyone to find you. Thank you again for joining me today. Thank you. Don't forget to take advantage of the exclusive discount code from our friends at BabyDink by visiting babydink.com.au, the simple, breathable and comfy way to baby wear without the fuss. Use the code GROW15. you're hearing this message then you've listened all the way to the end and maybe you're keen for more if that's the case jump over to my website to learn about how I can support you in pregnancy it's www.birthwithbeth.com.au or check out my Instagram for heaps more educational content thank you for being here and I'll see you back here very soon